Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. And I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our very special guest, Gloria Amendola, is stranded in a snowstorm tonight, that big one up in, in New England. So she can't be here live, but otherwise she's fine. Um, she had such a powerful message from Mary Magdalene last year for our Christmas show that we think it bears repeating. So we're going to be playing that part of her um, appearance from last year right after the news tonight. Gloria, if you haven't um, heard her before, is an author and intuitive with a passion for esoteric knowledge and the hidden history of the divine feminine, especially the story of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. She has facilitated over 300 Magdalene circles in the States, France, England, and Wales. She teaches the Holy Grail mysteries and their connection to the secret destiny of America. Gloria is a trained group facilitator with a specialty in dreams and soul recovery. She's a Reiki master and an accomplished shamanic drummer. She was trained on the Chiron light instrument and uses other cutting-edge disciplines in her energy work. Gloria recently re-released her original play, Magdalene's Mind, a script that was showcased in New York City and Seattle. She's written two esoteric thrillers and published a popular channeled trilogy called Mary Magdalene, Revelations from a First Century Avatar. Gloria's travels brings her to sacred, sacred sites throughout the world, following in the footsteps of the ancient ones and to experience powerful landscape temples firsthand. She's a Templar in the OSMTH order. Her commandery is in Rennes-le-Chateau, France, and dedicated to Mary Magdalene. She follows the footsteps of the Judean refugees, the Essenes, and Knights Templar, gathering impressions from the traces they left behind. Gloria has learned where they walked, so too walked the ancients. Initiates of the mysteries have gathered in sacred sites for reasons we're just beginning to understand. They left us an extraordinary legacy, one that could be decoded when the time was right. That time is finally here, and breakthroughs are at hand. And you can check out her website, which is gloria-amendola.com. And Amendola is spelled A-M-E-N, like amen, D-O-L-A dot com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight. And we won't be having any questions, obviously, since um, Gloria is not going to actually be here. Um, but we do have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's continual dedication. You can download our shows in on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, 
please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our show notices. They go out twice a month if you enable those notifications. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And if you've been listening to our show, you know about the global starseed activation that's been going on for two years um, since December of 18. And in the 11 years that we've been online, we've not seen anything like this. So the waiting time for the Stage 2 live sessions is still at about five or six months, but the Stage 1 wait time is finally shrinking to just under 20 weeks now, and it will continue to be reduced thanks to our new team of astrologers. And we're going to do a radio show to introduce them to you officially as soon as we get the website updated to include them. So we've just been focusing on doing the readings. And remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you'll get a window of 10 hours of power. And you can find out exactly when that happens and how to make the most of it by requesting your solar return timing. And that only takes a few days to get that chart. Um, But if you want the interpretation of that chart, you need to order it at least six months ahead so that you can get it before your 10 hours. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia and her very wonderful, fascinating Starseed News. Good evening, Ariel. It's great to be back. It's it's wonderful to be here, and it is December 22nd. The year is almost over. I can't believe how time flies. I know, me either. Isn't that something? I just, yeah. I wonder if it does that for everybody. Most of my clients tell me, young or old, that they seem to think that time is going faster. And wow, I mean, it's like a blur. It well, is. it is the Christmas season, and it's the season of the lights and uh, so on and so forth, despite the challenges. I think many of us are looking forward to just having a few days to contemplate. In the indigenous tradition, these are the three days of standing still, when the sun is not visible to the naked eye as having moved through the sky, and the ancients considered this to be the time of the sun standing still prior to its return or the return of the sun, bringing in new life and new beginnings and a new year. So it's a very special reflective um, gathering time within the self. And in light of the season, I want to talk to you about reindeer. Uh, Maybe many of you are not aware. I mean, many people have love for reindeer. Who doesn't love Rudolph? But (laughs) real reindeer. Uh, Do you know that the climate crisis is putting them under threat? The population of wild reindeer in the Arctic has declined by more than half in the last two decades, and it's down to around 2.1 million animals. That seems like a lot, but not really. Now, last year, some 200 reindeer, which were an unusually high number, were found dead from starvation in the Arctic archipelago of Svalbard, according to the Norwegian Polar Institute, which suggested that climate crisis is to blame. Now, did you know, and probably didn't, maybe some of you do, that reindeer are believed to be native to Scotland, but they became extinct around 800 years ago due to overhunting. In 1952, the site in the Cairngorms became the first place in the UK in which animals were introduced, the reindeer, after a Swedish herder visited the UK with his wife and thought the area would make a good home for them 
and since then, the herd has grown from eight reindeer to 150 and is looked after by a team of 10 full-time herders. Uh, to read about this is wonderful. Reindeer are apparently quite friendly and have, well, there's some that aren't. They have very distinctive personalities. But in general, um, they like people, they're sociable, they're fun to be around, and it sounds like a, a really sweet job to have. And despite the job satisfaction, they tell us that being a reindeer herder is hard, hard work. They have to get up early, early in the morning before the crack of dawn. They have to do a lot of walking to find the herds, and they have to take really heavy sacks of food up into the mountains to feed their deer. They do it every day, and it's like a lifestyle because one herder has said living closely together means that they all have to get along well. They live communally. They take turns to cook. They live like a great big family. Well, this time of year is the run-up to Christmas, and it's busy for the animals and the staff alike. The reindeer in Scotland go on tour. They visit children and pull Father Christmas on his sleigh. Father Christmas versus Santa Claus in our culture. Yeah. Now, each animal only does a couple of weeks' work. They're treated really well. They get to go uh, take a break um, and get returned to the mountains after they do their stint, (laughs) their shtick, as it were, working with the kids and pulling the sleighs. And, you know, but the encouraging part of this story is that the fact that the Scottish herd is thriving may bring uh, some hope, in fact, does bring hope to lovers of these wonderful animals because they're not doing well in their the Arctic lands, which is what we associate them with, but are doing quite well in their native country of Scotland where they haven't been for the last 800 years but have now been reintroduced. And it, there's only a small area of Scotland that can accommodate them. Um, and so that's kind of being dedicated now to reindeer farming. And there's only so many that they can uh, have there, but they're doing it. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I really had no idea that Scotland was the original home of reindeer. Wow. Well, in Hawaii, I followed this because I, it's, it kind of keeps my point with how time is going so fast. And I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Um, you know, it just seems a very recent time passed, maybe a year or so, that uh, Mount Kilauea erupted in Hawaii. Remember the lava flows and the fires and all the subdivisions mm-hmm. went up, and, and it was really extensive. It went on forever. Well, it just seems like it wasn't that long ago, but it was two years ago. It was 2018. And when I saw this article, I thought, wow. Okay, well, it's done it again. Um, and along with the abundance of tropical foliage and beaches and wonderful reefs, coral reefs, the Big Island is home to one of the world's most active volcanoes, as you know, Kilauea, and it erupted two days ago, December 20th. It's put the entire island on red alert. The eruption started uh, near the summit, this is according to NPR, and residents are now being told to stay inside for the next several days to avoid falling ash. So just two years later, it has blown its top again. Actually, Kilauea has gone off a lot. I mean, it's really an active volcano. It does... This is nothing unusual. They they have that all the time. And incidentally, um, I won't get into all of this, but I have a question for you. Uh, just, you know, you can't answer me. <laughs> Nobody out there can, can answer me, <laughs> but I'm asking it. Have any of you thought or ever heard of a president of the United States having banned Christmas trees? Hmm? What? No. <laughs> well, you know, this was once an ironclad piece of the tr- Christmas tradition. Um, The Christmas tree has come under fire in recent years over concerns about its environmental impact. 
And when I was young, and many, many years ago, back in the Stone Age, okay, we used to go out and, and hunt Christmas trees. I mean, we'd go out and cut our own. We lived in the mountains around Mount Shasta, and trees were in great abundance. And, well, heck, we just got on our sleighs or uh, on our sleds and went out hiking up into the woods and cut trees and never really thought much about it. Although I will say, when I was young, I rather puzzled. I thought, this seems to be such a waste of such a nice tree, and then we throw it out, you know. I didn't like it very much. Well, and... Of course, not long after that, they started having artificial trees. And so from from there forward, we've kind of been arguing which is best, fake or artificial, uh, uh, artificial or real trees, excuse me. And so uh, environmentalists settle that argument for us. They say, please don't, please don't cut down real trees. But anyway, uh, President Theodore Roosevelt is the president in question, and he's known for a lot of things. He was a powerful speaker, a very strong personality, but uh, he was also one of the world's first major advocates of environmentalism. Hmm. He took many actions on behalf of wildlife and conservation. He's one that uh, helped to establish the uh, Endangered Species Act. He started the National Park Service, and as it turned out, he was not a big fan of the Christmas tree. Now, they tell us that there's no definitive evidence that he outright banned Christmas trees. Uh, The Forest Service Society claims that this is kind of an urban legend. But that said, it stands to reason that uh, his conservation interests would be why he did not have a uh, Christmas tree in the White House, and he actually engaged in actions to limit logging. He was concerned about the fate of the trees, and he didn't believe that they should be wasted. So, And by the way, Christmas tree was not a White House tradition until 1920. So, uh, didn't know that. Didn't know that about Roosevelt. But certainly, um, I've always felt a little bit guilty about cutting down a perfectly beautiful living being to hang ornaments on it. And have since long ago settled for artificial tree. Now, some of you out there that prefer fresh trees, no offense. There's nothing like the smell, fragrance, the feeling of a wonderful tree in your in your house and in fact um i guess it was probably gosh i don't know anybody out there know maybe the 70s 80s they started christmas tree farms which is cool because some people just grow trees for that purpose and they don't go out in the wilderness and, and chop them down but anyway so there's a story about christmas trees now it has been one heck of a year hasn't it it's been a year like no other And as challenging as 2020 has been, the past 12 months have also seen big wins for the environment, for society and culture, and human rights, and even health. So there have been things that have gone right in 2020. And at the conclusion of this year, I thought it would be a good idea if we talked about that and reflected on that. Um, It's not all dark in this world. There are big movements underfoot um, to make the world a better place. So here's number one on my list. Renewables had a record year this year. The demand for renewables was growing before the pandemic and has held steady all of 2020. Advancements in green technology have rapidly brought down the costs of wind and solar, making them highly competitive with fossil fuels. Renewable energy made up almost half of Britain's electricity generation in the first three months of 2020. And what's more, demand for oil 
uh, peaked in 2019 and is now in terminal decline, according to a report released by BP in September. It acknowledged that the pandemic and policies to curb the climate crisis have hastened the demise of fossil fuels. And in 2020, European Union's largest oil producer promised to stop drilling. In a move described by Greenpeace as a watershed moment, Denmark announced in December that it will cancel all future permits for oil and gas exploration in the North Sea and phase out existing production by 2050. And the writing on the wall with this is um, hmm, fossil fuels are really, everyone's going to find a different way, just a different way altogether. It's really pointing to that. So electric cars are coming into the uh, uh, arena now. More people are able to buy them, and they're more affordable, and people are getting used to them. And so uh, everybody is really right now, all of this year, have been advancing towards green technologies, and I think don't you? That's a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. Number two on the list. Yeah. More people than ever have had access to electricity. And if you live in the United States, you're probably going, well, <laughs> doesn't everybody have electricity? No. Many in the world, even in our own country, as we talked about um, one night on this new show about the Native American populations in America not having electricity. Um, it's a blessing to be able to uh, flick a switch and get your lights. And in that vein, efforts to improve access to electricity in developing countries are bearing fruit. And this is according to a report by the International Agency, uh, published in October, excuse me, International Energy Agency. Now, this agency found that the number of people without electricity dropped from almost 860 million in 2018 to just about 700 million in 2019. And they claimed that was a record low. And that is continuing to drop in 2020. Electricity projects in India and some African nations have hooked millions upon millions of people up to their grid with progress needing to be maintained throughout the pandemic and post-pandemic. They're intending to keep that going and bring most of these third world countries up to this basic necessity that you and I have enjoyed all of our lives. Number three. There was success for rewilding and species reintroductions. See, that you're going to find this has been quite a year for the environment. And this concept is becoming more widely embraced. Um, it's really positive news when it comes to rewilding and species reintroduction. Um, bison, buffalo, are poised to return to English woodland as a part of a rewilding project in, in England. A herd of European bison will be in their new home by spring 2022. Now, this is the closest living relative to the ancient steppe bison, and um, it's a real breakthrough to do this. Now, everywhere else, uh, all across the world, there were um, reintroductions of beavers, white-tailed eagles, red kites, and this enormous Dalmatian pelican. You ought to check that out in the air. It's a huge bird. Um, volunteers have stepped up to look in after young trees as a part of a rewilding project in the highlands of Scotland. We had that story on this show uh, some time back. There have been river restoration projects. Um, uh, uh, the, the Iberian lynx is recovering. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, other uh, species have stepped back from the brink of extinction. So I'm scanning this. Oh, hen harriers, that's what I'm looking at. Um, they are now breeding their best. Uh, than they've done in many decades. I mean, just species after species is starting to recover. 
and is gaining ground. So that's just tremendous, just tremendous. I mean, wow, it's a big deal. Number three, Africa was declared free of wild polio. I'm sure you all heard about that. The World Health Organization uh, declared Africa as free from wild polio in August, following years and years of work by the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. That's a mouthful. And uh, the announcement came as the virus was finally eliminated in Nigeria. And on and on it goes. And I am from the uh, generation when polio affected many children. Many of the children I went to school with had polio and were disabled from it. Um, It's been a long haul to to get to this point. But speaking in 2020, the Director General of the World Health Organization described the eradication of wild polio in Africa as a public health triumph. And number four, the race to drive cars out of cities intensified. Hmm. Well, you know, I thought, wow, would I want to be in a city without a car? Well, in an ideal world, it would probably be a good thing, and there would be uh, community transportation, which is where the future is trending. Uh, It's positive news when it comes to hope for cleaner air in metropolitan areas, because private vehicles are being designed out of urban areas with encouraging results for communities and businesses. They are actually planning streets with more pedestrian space, bicycle space, and so on. Now, in England, um, they have a lot of cutting-edge advancements. Um, They have planned a street, uh, excuse me, a city uh, that's greener and cleaner with no streets that will accommodate cars. They are planning for public transportation, bicycle lanes, and complete ban on uh, traffic thoroughfare through certain parts of the town. They say that this will eliminate the bad air problem and uh, create a better environment for their uh, for their environment, an environment for their environment. Um, <laughs> it will be better for people's health and uh, all of that. So that's something that's taking place. The architects of today are already uh, planning for the futures of tomorrow. Things like vertical gardens on rooftops, uh, more energy-efficient houses, um, on and on and on. It's sort of like... Mm, well, decades ago, people were envisioning the cities of the future, clean air, beautiful trees, um, not over-congested, um, uh, foliage and all of that, and, and that never materialized in the last 30 years. But now, it finally is coming into being with the the changes that we see in our mindset, in our mentality as uh, those social planners and people who in charge these kinds of things are seeing that. Modern cities, the way they're devised, are not only dirty and unhealthy, they're not good for people psychologically, they're not in tune with the environment, they don't bring about harmony, peace, and balance, and they're doing something about it. And the pandemic actually has really accelerated this. They are also uh, constructing or designing buildings that have um, pandemic considerations uh, sketched into them such as spaces for seating with social distancing, um, good airflow, uh, on and on. I mean, they're they're thinking about the pandemic uh, hopefully being over soon, but also restructuring architecture so that in the future people will not be so close as to infect one another with something and also give people some space, a psychological, emotional, and energetic space. 
they're actually thinking like this now, and and it's pretty awesome, actually. Um, you know, it reminds me as I as I study this stuff for for this uh, show tonight. Kind of reminds me of the old Star Trek TV series, um, The Next Generation. Um, their programs show cities which are really clean and uh, nice, lot of space, and very unlike the cities today. And when you read about what they're doing, it's sort of like, I wonder if they watch Star Trek The Next Generation, um, because really that's, that's kind of how they're planning it. it. It is beginning to have the appearance of a far more evolved society is where I think they're wanting to take it. All right, and the next story. We did number four. Let's talk about five. Oh, boy, and again, about fossil fuels. Um, fossil fuel is uh, in, uh, encountering tremendous divestment. People are bailing out of it. Um, a chief investment officer in the U.K.'s largest pension fund called Nest announced in July that it was going to divest from firms involved in coal extraction, tar sands, and Arctic drilling. He said, no one wants to save throughout their life to retire into a world devastated by climate change. And this was just one of the many pieces of positive news when it comes uh, to divestment from fossil fuels. If you have an investment in oil, I suppose you don't think that's very positive. But all over the world, uh, big investors are pulling out of it. Lloyd's of London, uh, the world's biggest insurance market, has announced that it would stop new insurance coverage for coal, uh, coal, oil sands, and Arctic energy projects by 2022. Just think about that. They're not going to finance any any fossil fuel projects in the Arctic. And Bank of America just announced that it will no longer fund oil and gas drilling in the Arctic. And it became the final major United States bank to make such a commitment. They joined Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Chase, Wells Fargo, and Citibank. Everybody's pulling out of oil. Uh, Here's a new one, uh, number six. Wildlife gardening was embraced with fresh enthusiasm. Many people confined to their houses and areas, homes in 2020, um, have begun to to learn about their environment, okay? Um, They are interested in boosting the sense of well-being, and they're beginning to pay attention to the plants around them. So it was kind of a silver lining in a cloudy year that people have, uh, have a renewed enthusiasm for gardening. And what they've done is take wildlife needs into consideration. So what are they doing? They are returning maybe uh, lawn space into a wildlife space for birds, butterflies, uh, things like that. They're making mini mini meadows in their yards. Uh, People are putting in ponds. They're leaving log piles alone so that the insects can be accommodated. They're planting in window boxes and borders. Uh, They're creating community gardens uh, for people to share. And uh, they're gardening according to the needs of insects and what insects are beneficial and such as that. Doesn't that sound great, really, when you think about it? Yeah. Um, Botanists across the world are hard at work trying to encourage people to embrace nature in urban areas. They're telling them to name uh, weeds that grow up in the sidewalks. We had that on one news story this year. Um, It's a project across uh, certain parts of Europe. Oh, where people are training themselves to find the use for a weed, like a dandelion. People that think it's a weed, they find out it's a tea, it's a medicine. And so there's a shift in consciousness about our relationship to nature and bringing nature into our lives. 
and grooming our our environment less and leaving more for other creatures that we share the world with. It's wonderful. Now, here's a weird one, guys, but, you know, hey, I mean, okay, fine. Uh, Scotland has made period products free for everybody, Uh, women, of course. Now, Scotland made history last month by becoming the first country in the world to guarantee free and universal access to period products. Uh, Campaigners welcomed the move, claiming Scotland was setting a, I'm just going to quote it, a bloody great example for other nations to follow. (laughs) (laughs) Scotland's decision is a major win for menstrual equity, recognizing that the needs of women uh, matter. And so Scotland is providing products accordingly for everybody who needs them. Uh, it would be nice if they could do that with universal health care across the world, but anyway, there it is. That's uh, This is how liberal and open-minded are. Uh, I'm telling you, there's progress everywhere if you just know where to look for it. And uh, let's see. Well, I'll give you the last one here. I'm kind of running over time. Um, number eight, uh, baby animals are abundantly, uh, being born abundantly, in abundance. Uh, Kenyan, uh, rep- Kenya reported in August that its elephant population has more than doubled from 16,000 in 1989 to 34,000 today. The number of elephants being killed by poachers is also down significantly. And uh, the number of lions living in Kenya has increased by 25% as well. From 2000 in 2010, to 2,500 in 2020. In Uganda, they had a gorilla baby boom. Mountain gorillas in the country have been breeding in unprecedented numbers, according to conservationists. They announced in September that seven infants had been born there to date in 2020, more than double the number for all of 2019. Those gorillas have been endangered. Um, it's just amazing. So that's those just two examples. There's lots of Animal babies being born, uh, births are increasing. All right. Well, I think I better quit there. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think I'll let those other two stories go. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, number nine, finally, <laughs> I'll end it here. Deaths caused by terrorism fell for the fifth consecutive year. You know, you don't hear about that much anymore. Um, and this is why. The Global Terrorism Index reported that deaths from terrorism fell for the fifth consecutive year in 2020. The number of deaths caused by terrorism has now decreased by 59% since 2014. That's good news. And, oh, I have to share this with you. Last, I'll give you the last one, okay. Saudi Arabia and Palestine banned child marriage. Saudi Arabia banned child marriage in 2020, making 18 the minimum age to be married. Now, in 2019, they banned marriages for children under the age of 15. Before that, before last year, there were no age limits on marriage for boys or girls. That's progress. So there we have it. Okay. I'm going to leave you a thought to start the new year. One big secret about succeeding in the new year lies in concentrating more on things that matter most in life and walking away from those things that are of no value or use. Amen to that. Let's focus on what matters and don't give any attention to the things that don't, that are not important to you and have no value and no use. 
that's a good way to start the new year. And I think that's what's happening, don't you, Ariel? People seem to yeah. be getting more focused on what matters and less concerned about the things that do not benefit us. So it's progress. Things are getting better. Even when it don't seem like they're getting better, they're getting better. Most definitely. I just gave you a bunch of stories that proves it. So heads high, heads up. It's going to be a great new year, everybody. Much love to you, from my heart to you. And um, I guess we're going to see you again in 2021. That's right, two weeks from tonight. Thank you, Ariel. So I appreciate for the, all the opportunity for the to be with all of you. and encouraging news. I love that. Good job. It, it's good stuff. It really is. Yeah. There's a lot to be happy about. Okay, good night, everybody. Well, you have you have a great, blessed holiday. Peace oh, thank you. and um, joy, comfort and joy. <laughs> thank you okay. so much. All right. Thanks, Anastasia. Good night. Good night. Well, Lavendar, are you I'm there? here. Okay. I'm here. All right. Well, we are. Um, we're going to play the message uh, from Mary Magdalene um, in in a few minutes here. But you have something special that you wanted to share. Yes, uh, it's called "A Visit from the Ship." It's written by Clement Clark Moore and Faraway Water. Twas the night before Christmas on the roof of the house. The ship had just landed and frightened the mouse. Our minds were erased by click of a device, and all we remembered was the scent of Old Spice. The tall whites were standing at the foot of our bed, showing us screen dreams and filling our heads. And Mama in her trance and I lying frozen in my crap had just been told that we were special and all of that. When out on the lawn there rose such a clatter, they woke up the neighbors where the particulars had matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and lit my best stash. The moon on the breast, new fallen snow, gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes did appear, but a miniature silver disc in eight tiny galactic deer. With a little old avatar so lively and quick, I knew in a moment I must be a quick pick. More rapid than eagles his coursers they came, and he toned and codgered and called them by name. Now Hermes, now Draco, now Vega, Athena, on Titan, on Tula, on Zeus and Medina. To the top of Manitaka, to the top of it all. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. So up to the housetop, the galactics they flew, with the ship full of activations, in missing time too. And I heard them exclaim as they beamed out of sight, 2020 is soon over, and you will remain a seed of light. Oh, my God. Okay, I've got to do this. (laughs) Oh, that was brilliant. Is that funny? That was brilliant. We're going to put it up on our forum, on our, uh, the forum that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, tell Faraway Water, excellent job. Excellent, I know. We, Excellent we, job. we enjoyed uh, putting this together today. I, I added one or two words, but she did all the rest. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, that's wonderful. Well, <laughs> we're going to go now from the uh, the, the comical, lighthearted, um, into the the reverence of the of the season and the material that we're presenting here. 
and I'm going to start it with um, a song, and then we're going to hear um, from Gloria Amendola, and then we'll close with one more song. So there you okay. have it. So, All right. um So first I'm up, so I'm going to say say happy Happy New Year to everyone, and and have a great holiday, and we'll see you uh, in 2021. Okay.
sacred sites and people and star seeds, and we're just so appreciative of all your work. I just wanted to say that to you first. Oh, thank you, Lavendar. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I was noticing that you had some kind of experience on July 28, 2019, uh, could you give us a little heads up about what this date is about? And it looks like that something happened to you that drew you to the American Southwest instead of France or Scotland on this date. Can you share with us this story? I sure can. I don't recall if last year when I was on if I mentioned the July 28, 2019 date that I had rediscovered in the late Dr. Tim Wallace Murphy's uh, well-known book, on Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. And to to um, synthesize this and to make it as simple as possible, I'll just try to hit the highlights. When I was in France in uh, 2018, I was with a group in Montsegur, and they were climbing up to the Cathar Castle. And I sat down below, and I finished rereading the book, except for the last few pages. And as I was reviewing the information on how the seven temples along the Nile River corresponded to the chakra system, that if we use the seven major chakra system, that the Templars were responsible in resuscitating old Druid oracle sites in Europe, beginning with Spain, most of them being in France, and the last one representing the seventh chakra or the Druidic planetary oracle of Saturn um, was at Rosslyn Chapel in Scotland. And there was this discussion as they moved about this initiatory pathway through Europe and the UK that there could possibly be an alignment. Now, the book was written in 1999, and they were they got this hunch that there could be this planetary correspondence with the cathedral and druidic correspondence, and so they used the tools they had available to them at that time 20 years ago, and lo and behold, they found that the way that a certain seven uh, bodies, heavenly bodies, aligned in the heavens was the exact correspondence of these seven now cathedrals, um, beginning with Santiago de Compostela in Spain, uh, moving all through France and then into Scotland, um, and that there was this alignment. And Tim's uh, colleague and friend, who he deeply respected, felt that this would be a time of great change on the planet uh, and this was, again, 20 years ago, and a lot of cataclysm. So when I was listening to the news, um, the Earth-based based news at the beginning of our show here, I, I was feeling how much has really happened since that date. Does that, does that sound right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay, so so what happened was when I finished the book, I thought, um, well, maybe I should be in uh, Rosslyn, uh, Scotland, but I had gone in 2018, and I knew my work there for now was complete. And so I tapped into Magdalene, I tapped into Yeshua and others that I work with, and I asked, where do you want me to be on this date? I knew Tim to be an extremely reliable researcher. I knew him as a dear friend, and I knew he would never write anything he couldn't prove. This is this was his uh, what he always told me. And when, I was so shocked when I got back the message that I was return I was to return to my roots 
having been born in New Mexico, and to begin there and to do this uh, sort of chakra trail in the American Southwest. And I was shocked because I've spent so many years in Europe, in the U.K., as you know, that to circle back, it was it, it just opened so many new doorways for me that years ago when I was traveling out there, the understanding of what was to reveal itself was over my head at the time. But this past July, along with some very uh, dear friends, there were seven of us that made this journey, um, it was an extraordinary journey leading up to that date, and then that date at the very end of our journey led us to Sedona, and that's where it all seemed to come together. Wow. So what was the what was the alignment that you were looking at? Do you know the, the placements? Because I've just drawn it up on the chart in front of me, and I, I'm noticing that one particular planet has something to do with the activation of bloodlines for star seeds. Wow, that's fascinating. That would make total sense to me. I unfortunately don't have the research handy. It's uh, I can't quite figure out where I put it in all my archive files, but I will say this. I worked with a group um, in a couple of ladies in Florida who had, uh, we were talking about this, and originally uh, we were going to all go to Scotland together, but that wasn't what was in the cards for me. And I know that a French physicist, um, a woman I've never met, but I saw her research because they were kind enough to send the data, and I could actually send it to you, Lavendar, but uh, I, so I can't really speak. I can't draw those files up quickly to see. But I know that Tim, you know, they worked really hard to prove this correspondence as above, so below. And I can't speak to the specifics at this moment. Well, I do notice in the chart that Mercury is at uh, 24 degrees and 30 minutes of cancer retrograde, which to me uh, talks about the activation of starseed bloodline planet. And across from that is Pluto. So Pluto would be the power that would activate the bloodlines on the planet. Wow. Wow, I didn't I didn't make that connection. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Well and the wow. stadiums Venus and Sun and, and Mars are conjunct in Leo. So it's showing the royal bloodlines right there with those three planets. Wow. Wow. Maybe 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 even the violet blood on the planet. Okay. Can you explain the violet blood? Well, it has to do with a lot of different uh, starseed experiments. But remember when they put down the uh, experiments with royal bloodlines, you couldn't marry outside of the royal family? It's because yes. they were genetically designed to have violet blood. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's very interesting that you say, that you mention these correspondences. One thing I wanted to share, given this is the Christmas season and, and miracles are possible, I wanted to share the story of before we even got to Sedona. So it was a couple of days before the July 28th date. Of course, we started on Magdalene's feast day. It just, 
it just all unfolded that way. We were at Star Dreaming Ranch outside of Santa Fe, a very um, an extraordinary place of bringing in the stars and the cosmos into the earth in these earthen stone temples that Dr. Jerob is, um, has really chipped all the stone by hand. It's an extraordinary place. You can Google it. But what happened was the theme of water kept following us. Now, I live in New England, the Northeast, not that far from New York City, but yet um, it's very wooded where I am, very green, and I live along the ocean. And we get a lot of water here. So water we take uh, for granted a bit, but when we were out west, it just struck us how incredibly dry it is out there and how water is so fundamental. So everywhere we went, we just kept singing the Algonquin water song and praying rain for the people. So when we got to Hopi, we had already been doing that all along the way, and we met with a wonderful guide out there, and um, there were some wonderful stories. You probably know all this, but for your listeners, we were I was able to confirm with our guide that the Hopi believe their creator god, Masao, uh, came from the stars, and that the three mesas in Arizona, uh, in on the Hopi Reservation, the Hopi lands, those three mesas, those those flat top mountains, are all aligned to the belt stars of Orion. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're a lot of us are familiar with the Giza Plateau in Egypt and that alignment uh, with the belt stars of Orion. So I was compelled to look at an old book I had by Gary David, who had spent uh, 20 years living with the Hopi in Arizona, a really wonderful man and author. Uh, for anyone who's interested in this, I encourage you to uh, check out his work, Gary David. So I was shocked when he had the diagrams and was so, to me, the three mesas corresponding to Orion uh, in the Hopi land is even more precise than Egypt. Wow. So when I asked our guide, okay, can you can you know can you confirm that? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, can you tell me uh who your creator God is, this Masao? And they said Masao is a star being and of course he's come to teach us the ways of agricultural agriculture and other things. And if you Chaco Canyon in New Mexico was a site that we were at where all the Kivas Many of the Kivas are aligned to Orion, uh, and there's many stellar alignments there. So this stuff I had seen so much of in Europe and the U.K., and now I was rediscovering it in the American Southwest. The same intelligence, the same archaeoastronomy, and here we have these belt stars. So I asked further, because we had a very open Hopi guide of of the uh, grandmother clan, of the feminine clan out there. I didn't know that. It just worked out that way. And I said, so is this Masao, this star being, would another phrase or words uh, describe him as an advanced extraterrestrial? And they, And she said, without hesitation, that's exactly what we believe. Wow. No hesitation whatsoever. And what I came to learn through the work of Mark Pinkham and our Hopi guide and being there at Hopi was that they were actually taking, I think this is interesting because climate change and this acceleration of time is so prevalent at this point. 
and it reminded me of the stories of the ant people or the Anunnaki, whichever you decide it might be, uh, took the certain Hopi people into the earth twice when the surface of the earth experienced cataclysms. Now, in this July 28th date, uh, Tim Wallace Murphy's friend uh, believed that it would be a time of cataclysm, but I don't know what his filter was. It could be a time of great awakening, cataclysm, rebirth. We don't know, right? I mean, those words are interchangeable. Well, the one thing that I'm noticing about the planet, Saturn and Pluto are making a um, kind of a wide conjunction and, and one that's going to be there on January 12th. But in between is the south node at 17 Capricorn, which makes me think it's bringing the records for great communication to the planet. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. And when you speak of that January 12th alignment, there's a couple of there's something I wanted to share with you in particular, Lavendar. But I was looking at your book, um, 50 Questions and Answers: A Celestial Point of View. I was rereading it today, and because I was aware of the Saturn aspect in that January alignment, I saw that you um, the question in your book was, "What is karma?" And it just struck me that this idea of group karma, um, national karma, world karma, and personal karma is all in play on that uh, during that January 12th alignment. How do you feel about that? Well, that, that makes sense. And, and I look back the last time that Saturn and Pluto were at this particular placement, and it was 28 years ago, and 28 years ago, the Internet went online. Oh, wow. That's that's an interesting correlation. Yeah. So there wow. must be some event that's going to happen so that we can get it instantly all over the world. You know, I'm feeling that there's something to that. I know a friend of mine, Kelly Knight, in Salem, Marblehead, Massachusetts, we were talking about, I was up there presenting, and we were talking about a couple of different things. One being, and I, I heard this first in tw- December 2015, that there's a lot of astrologers who believe that December 21st, 2020, is the actual start of the Aquarian age. Do you believe that? I'm sure you're familiar with the with the alignments at that time or the astrological aspects. Does that make sense? Yes, well, the thing that I came to know after much research and study over this particular date, it wasn't so much uh, the information for me personally about the Mayan calendar. What I noticed was star seeds and their bloodlines started waking up all over the planet. I mean, instantly, because in 2013 and 2014, we had a huge migration. We had people getting married, divorced, leaving their jobs, just walking out from corporate America and going to the woods. I mean, it was massive. Hmm. So I kind of visualized it as all all the pieces on the chessboard, and then somebody came along with a big hand and just threw them all off. <laughs> That's kind of what I saw about 2012. Yeah. Okay, but the, this 2020, this uh, this uh, winter solstice 2020. Do you feel that that it it could be the official um, beginning of the Aquarian age? 
It certainly yeah. felt to me like yeah, July was, was the yeah. beginning of a very large galactic cycle. Well, um, that makes a lot of sense. And it's remember, it's a seven-year pattern now. This is seven years. So From 2020. It, yeah, it, it's like it, it's coming to a place where there's a, it's like a new sheriff's in town. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm yep. saying? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're, we're going to be stepping in. And what you said about karma, I really do believe there's a lot of souls that came back just to experience karma together. There's, there's groups of people that I'm noticing show up, and they seem to come to the planet, and they seem to leave, you know, with the same sense of knowing about coming and going. Yeah. Hmm. That's fascinating. I feel like since last, for, since June of uh, this year, June 2019, the Crab Nebula spit out a, a burst of photonic light photons that reached the planet in a burst that has never been recorded before. It was huge. And on the trip to uh, the American Southwest, we actually went through, the, I think your listeners will like this, we went through the town of Magdalena and we ended up at the very large array in the San Augustine Plains just past it where they have the massive uh, satellite dishes that record all these things. Wow. Yeah, it's really, it's really worth going there to see how they take different pictures and create a composite image of things that are happening in the universe. And so I'm sure they knew about this crab nebula explosion. And then we had that July 28th date, and it seemed to me, because I was so aware of it, that when I got back, there was just an incredible acceleration from that point. And then now this January um, 2020 alignment just seems like a natural um unfoldment of this acceleration. One of the things that my friend Kelly Knight said in the workshop when we were all giving our different aspects was that perhaps, you know, this, um, we, we actually have this eclipse in moon uh, around Christmas time, and that seems to have more fortunate and happy aspects to it, but then, boom, that door opens, and it seems like the January one is harsh. It's difficult. It's strong. It's big. And it just seems like uh, mastery is afoot. And if you really want to go this final distance to the Aquarian age, that everything is going to come up. Personal karma, uh, planetary karma, national karma, karma of the United States of America, that sort of thing. As an astrologer, does that resonate with you? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I noticed in my ephemeris that on, on the 18th, when the sun is going to be at 26 or 27, that's the mark of galactic center, that the, the last quarter moon will be at 26 Virgo, which opens up a lot of high healing from a lot of places on the planet. Oh, that is exquisite. That's exquisite. That really resonates with me. So that would act- I just that would also I, activate I, that Mercury at 24:30 on July 28th. Ah, wow, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, when we were at Hopi and we were getting this incredible information and these confirmations from our guide and we were traveling on the mesas and the land and so forth, again, going back to the idea of how dry it was, 
we um before we met with her the night before we drummed and we burned sage and we were staying on second mesa and they were preparing for the rain dances that were an add-on to their schedule of dances because they needed rain they were in deep drought they needed water water is life so when we finished with our guide i asked permission if we could pray rain for them before we left on our way you know, moving out, and we were moving towards uh, Williams, Arizona, preparing for the Grand Canyon uh, the, that following day. And she said, of course you can. So we waited until we found a, a good location. And before we left the Hopi lands, we had had such a heart connection with the Hopi and with our guide that we sang our songs. We sang the Algonquin water song. We used our rattles and our drums and just called out and really from our heart put that vibe out there. And I swear to God, I thought I saw rain on second Mesa, but it was pretty hot. It was in July. And I thought, well, maybe the desert's playing tricks on me. So we put our stuff back in the vehicle. We drove to Williams, Arizona, by the time I got there and we all checked in, I was tired, so I didn't check email till the next morning. But when I did, I had an email from our guide, and she thanked me in Hopi because it had rained that afternoon. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's our miracle at Hopi, and it's part of the theme of uh, some of Magdalene's message that I'll I'll read later later on this evening. But so much of the work that I've been doing on a personal level and with groups has really been as we go through this tremendous and accelerated and potent passage that we really have to. What's really beneficial for us is to be in our heart our heart chakra, our heart center, that field of energy, that somehow that's what gets us through these incredible changes. What was the connection that you made with the Knights of the Templar with the American Native Indians? Well, this is fascinating. Uh, There were two connections made with the Templars out west. One, in 2002, I had uh, worked with an intuitive um, in New Mexico by phone, And this reading was done for me. And the person who was extremely knowledgeable, way over my head at that time, that's 17 years ago, she told me that Chaco Canyon was a Templar crossroads and that I should, because I was visiting there in 2003, that I should, and personal, it was a personal visit, uh, I should definitely make sure I went there because something happened with reconfiguring DNA. And that, yes, indeed, it was a Templar crossroads. Well, I didn't know a lot about the Templars, a little bit. And through the work of Gary David, he actually was the first author that I ever read credible pieces of research and information that suggested that the Templars themselves were very aware of these center places, these umphalos, these these nodal points on the earth, and they were looking for the big one. And I have a feeling that they were out in Chaco Canyon looking for whatever that meant. I haven't gotten that far yet, but he was the first author in 17 years that I found those pieces, so I was really thrilled. And then as a result of that and further digging when I got home, I was able to put together more pieces on how, as the Templars made their way across America in, you know, way back then, 
um, long before the United States was formed, they were uh, depositing very sacred um, objects, let's say. And the native tribes, not every tribe, but certain native tribes helped them to this day have, have been the guardians of very sacred bloodline relics. Wow. Wow. What did they say about the ant people? Give us a little bit more about what they say about the ant people. I'm very interested in that. And what did they say about inner earth, like hollow earth and the beings that live underground? Okay, good question. When I worked with Gary David prior to the prior to the trip, um, he was a researcher, very, a lovely man. And when I first said I was a channel, sometimes people don't take that seriously. They don't respect the right brain um, skill set, if you will. And so we talked a bit more, and I told him that I take this very seriously and a bit of my process, and he, he accepted that. He, he felt that that was, um, that I was speaking my truth. And so he suggested to me that when I got to the Grand Canyon after leaving Hopi, because he knew these lands and he said they were very sacred, very powerful lands, he said, I, I encourage you to call on the ant people, have a meditation and call upon them and see what comes for you. So having been in the Hopi lands and all the driving and we finally get to the Grand Canyon, uh, realize, and I'm sure you know this, that the, the week before I was to get there, it was 111 degrees, and I would not have fared well with that temperature. But the universe really aligned for us, and by the time we started our hike, uh, through a rain that went through the canyon and so forth, the temperature dropped to 75 degrees. And we were able, with much more comfortable temperatures, to hike in a more remote area of the Grand Canyon. And I called upon the ant people. I had seen them before, um, actually, believe it or not, in France. That's a whole other story. But these were from inside the earth. And I saw them scale the sides of the canyon. They were large and spindly and very self-conscious of their appearance. They didn't really care for the surface of the earth. And so we connected, and thanks to Magda Grover for her recording of these sessions, and Mel from Australia who made the trip in, who's an avid listener of Starseed, of your show, um, we, Melanie Allen, we were able to make this really ex extraordinary connection. They showed me how, and it was a group of them that scaled the canyon rock to get to us. And they showed me how they're working diligently and feverishly within our great mother, our earth mother, from, from within. And yes, there are other civilizations there, but they felt like to me that they were a dominant one, although they kept their distance and boundaries from other civilizations was how it was presented to me. And they said that when they came here and then went inside the mother, inside our earth, they felt much more comfortable being there. And, and this time of great um, purification, they are working extremely hard to, when they find the different pressure points um, inside the earth, that are coming from the surface, they believe, they actually go in groups, they send out groups, and they actually work to alleviate pressure and imbalance. That's what they were showing me, and it was very technical. And they, they asked, why aren't you 
doing the same? And my answer was, we're trying. We're we're trying to do this, but you know, it's a it's a tough battle right now. And so they said that we needed more people to believe in our power to help balance the earth. They also said that they said a lot actually oh my god they they said so much but they were in terms of the middle earth they were a um they were a private uh civil they they were a private group down there they were uh they kept to themselves their direct communion was with the spirit of mother earth does that does that resonate that's that's what they were saying they weren't interacting with other species that makes sense, yeah. But they felt a profound love for our Earth from the inside, and where, which is where they said that they couldn't wait to get back to once they were delivering their message. And they really implored many of uh, the message that we should all be getting out on the Earth and really uh, loving her, healing her, doing everything we can to rebalance because she is under extreme pressure and they couldn't guarantee that um, cataclysms weren't going to happen again. Well, I think it's a natural state of evolution, don't you think? I do. I do. I think we're exacerbating it, though. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I really do. Um, it be Just the lack of conscious awareness that people to this day still have um, you know, they were really connected to to the, um, you know, and I don't know if they're the Anunnaki or the in the Ant people are one and the same, but they were really connected to the Hopi uh, because, and, and I didn't, because they felt the Hopi had learned the lessons of how to respect the earth and that their creator, God Masao, had given them charge of keeping balance on the earth with the ley lines. And that was confirmed by our Hopi guide that, um, you know, they were charged with the ley lines and keeping the balance in the earth and sky. And I think that's some of what was going on at Chaco Canyon with all those Kiva openings aligned to Orion. They couldn't begin their sacred ceremonies until they could see Orion, those belt stars, from that opening. And and so the ant people were saying that we've forgotten how alive the stars are and what messages they truly carry for us. These are live communications and we're not we're not dialing in, if you will. Yeah. I can't remember the story, I just remember bits and pieces of it, but uh I heard that the ant people were down in the southern part of New Mexico where they set off the atomic bombs, and that after the atomic bombs, the the white sand was heavy with radiation, and they took it upon themselves to to bring down the radiation of the atomic uh, bombs that had been on white sands. Mm. Yeah, I've been through that area before. I the way that they showed me, they were working through from the inside of the earth remember before i said it was very technical what they were doing like they had very advanced knowledge so some of these technologies are things we don't even realize are possible so that makes sense to me that they would have somehow known to transmute that radiation yeah 
Yeah. They also talked a lot about us as human beings and how we don't really realize our power. They um, said that through the chamber of the heart, our heart, the magic of power and the power of humans is stored. All knowledge is available to us, but it is the way that we access the knowledge that determines our mastery. And they believe that it's through the chamber of the heart. That's because the chamber of the heart doesn't have filters like the brain does. You think? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I know the brain. Yeah, has so they many- they were very adamant about that, and of course, Magdalene is always talking about that, and we know Thoth was talking about that. Um, you know, in the in the ancient Egyptian. Uh, knowledge stream they they understood the that deeper working of the chambers of the heart but and i believe that the hopi did and that's why i kept stressing that when we had that miracle of the rain at at hopi it was not because we were all such accomplished shamans it was simply that the heart our hearts had connected in such a way we had such compassion for these people who had no water and had to find a way to live that it just it just tore open our hearts that rain would be so beneficial for them. And also, I believe that those codes, that energy that came out is really what made the rain form and rain down and literally rain down upon them. But I also think they they allowed you to be the demonstration so you could journal it. I think so. I think I think I was I certainly I'll speak for myself was given that miracle to begin to really incorporate that and understand what we are capable of when we are in our hearts and to be to be bringing that more to my groups and to the mother herself. So we needless to say we were we were just overjoyed that they got rain and that and it, it we we worked so hard with that Algonquin water song that after that it rained everywhere we went which was pretty funny. <laughs> That's good. So tell it us was, a little tell us a little bit about your recent messages from Mary. I know you always have one special for us at this time of year. I do, and I'm going to read that one a little bit later on. It's a little bit longer. But when I was speaking about the heart, um, Magdalene, I'm trying to get to that right now, she was coming in with messages, and they were they were short and simple. Um, and here's one of them I'll share right now. She says, as you stand at the precipice of what appears to be destruction in your world, Look up and see the starlight shining in the night sky. It sends forth impulses upon your earth with codes for this new cycle of time. There has been a dark force with with malevolent intent moving in your world for a very long time, and few have understood how to engage it and slay its darkness. In this new cycle of time, You will remember how to do such things, for the sustainability of your world depends on it. Those among you who wish to apply this knowledge will feel it in your bones and know it in your heart. The time has come to rise up, not with a sword dripping in blood, rather a sword of light that can be wielded for right action. 
Allow your intelligent heart to lead the way forward now as your world calls out for reconciliation and healing. Wow. I love that. You know, and and I'll I'll send it to uh, Arielle if she wants to post that one as well on the forum. You're you're certainly welcome to do so. But it's funny, when you were talking about the different um, astrological aspects that you were looking at in relation to that July 28th date and what's afoot now, it seems to go hand in hand with her talking about this new cycle of time. And for those people who are ready to step into this awareness, um, you'll know it in your bones. You'll, you know, you'll feel it. You'll feel it in your bones. You'll know it in your heart. And that's what I think she's saying when you were talking about these bloodlines being activated by these aspects. Yeah. I'm wondering what that eclipse of August 21st of 2017 has to do with what you've been tracking with July 28th of 2019. That would be an interesting thing to look at astrologically. Mm. Well, I channeled, this piece was channeled actually, and it's fairly short, when I returned from the American Southwest and I was just reeling in the light that I felt that just seared into my psyche. Um, So that's, that's something that we shared. Now, there's another thing I'd like to share, if I can, um, about the um, an update to the Hopi prophecy or an example of it being fulfilled. I had thought many times of reaching back out to our Hopi guide, Iva, um, but something would always happen. The phone would ring, whatever, and I would forget. So in November, it was about mid-November, I said, you know what, I really need to, something is telling me I need to reach out to her very strongly and ask her, is there any update that you can share? Because when we were there in July, she said that when her husband went out to meditate, you know, in the vast wide open space of their lands, that he noticed the sun was uh, rising in a bit of a different place. And this was in uh, July, a week before the... um, date of July 28th. And I had had a profound experience at that time too, so we were we were we were resonating with that particular time. So when I reached out to her, I figured I'd get a response in a day or two, but I had one within 5 minutes. And this is what she said. My husband and I were just talking about the Hopi prophecy on how our sunsets will become very orange and beautiful. But when it keeps doing that, it will start getting to, we will start getting red sunsets. It's a sign we are coming to a big disaster. That's been happening. So we started talking about our dry storage. We thought we would have a good harvest, but it didn't happen. And that's a sign in and of itself. Now, unlike where I live, where everything is accessible, you know, they don't have anything close by. So if there's something to happen, they really have to be prepared in advance because just to find a store in in itself is, is quite a track uh, on their lands. And so I thought, okay, you know, I know she's being honest with me and this is what they're seeing. So I just accepted that. And then a dear friend, my dear friend Magda, uh, sent me a picture because I had shared this with her that um, there was, a friend she knows uh, who is an excellent photographer had captured a red sunset just outside, just out of, um, outside of Boston like a couple of days later after we got this message. 
and it's striking and beautiful, but yet we cringed a bit because we thought, you know, should we be paying attention to this? Is this a sign? Is this the red kachina? Is this the red star kachina now? We've we've shifted from blue to red in this seven-year period, and so does that make everything more intense now? What we didn't get in that seven-year period of blue star you know, if in fact it's a seven-year cycle, maybe the red star will drive it home, and maybe that's what this January uh, 2020 eclipse in alignment and moon are unfolding for us. Very well could be, could be. I think all the events are, uh, people ask me, well, when do you think this is going to happen, when that's going to happen? It's like, I think there's a series of events that take place before a, a big thing can happen. It's like a, something has to do with maybe Japan or something has to do with another part of the of the planet. There's a there seems to be some kind of sequence of events before a big one happens. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel because I've done so much work with the earth, I feel I'm very tuned into her into her heartbeat, into her movement, into her voice and awareness. And I believe and I believe that when this is coming, I will now feel it. Um because that's what's happened to me over the last year or two. When she's when she's shaking and moving, um, I just feel it now. I'm not separate from it. I'm very well synced into it. And, you know, at that point, again, the only thing I can do is put my hands on my heart, no matter where I am, and just be in that uh, heart-brain connection, if you will, and just allow. Because I don't think any of us really know how things are going to unfold, what they're really going to look like. I think we've all been surprised already. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Gloria, I'm looking at the time, and I'd like to uh, share uh, you with my co-host, Arielle, at this time. And thank you so much for being our guest uh, for our Christmas show. And it's the last show that we're going to have in December. And please keep us abreast of your trips and things that we might help you with. You know, we shouldn't shouldn't just talk once a year. We should talk more during the year, okay? (laughs) Yes, I I totally agree. And like I said before, I was really motivated to reread your a book that you had sent me a long time ago, and I thought, you know, I, I thought the same thing. Lavendar and I need to talk. You know what's funny about that book is I don't even remember writing it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. It was another life ago. I thought, oh, is she going to ask me a question about something in the book because I don't remember writing it? <laughs> and that's the funny. truth. Okay. Yep. okay, so I'm passing you over to my co-host, Ariel. Uh, okay, Lavendar. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah, well, with Lavendar, you never know who's um, dropping by um, hysterically. <laughs> so um, that's not surprising. But I just, I'd I love to hear about what you do, the experiences that you have, and they are always extraordinary. And you keep bringing in more pieces of the puzzle. And and I know that you're totally, totally dedicated to this work. And um, oh, I am. Yeah, I am. I'm a little I, crazy at times, but I couldn't I couldn't imagine it being any other way at this point. Well, every day of your life has led you to today, 
I mean, that's true yeah. for everybody. But you've really yeah. had a lot of extraordinary experiences, you know, great teachers and um, and the work that you do with Mary Magdalene on behalf of her and Yeshua. Um, there are probably few that that do that. So you're... You're a gem. Uh, I I appreciate that. I um you know I I was really lucky in my early my young young years to really just enjoy uh, the a simpler life and you know party and cook meals and go to concerts and you know I started young and I and I filled you know I had a full uh, experience with that and I'm grateful because when this part of my life came calling the grail the way um, the bloodline codes whatever it all is that wakes up in a person. I couldn't see myself at this point doing anything else. And it's been 20 years now. And I have to say, I feel as passionate as I ever have. You you know, you have ups and downs in a cycle that long. And there are times as a researcher or an intuitive or um, one who goes out and talks publicly or, you know, uh, gathers circles and and does the more uh, intimate work with people on on a more individual basis or a small group basis, you know, you, you sometimes lose your way a bit, but but you you still have that common thread going through. But I have to say, Ariel, that after 20 years, like I'm on fire because you, you stay that long with something and the big pieces finally start coming in and they really start fitting in nicely. So my goal going forward is to I will still travel. I think I always will, but is to really write books that are clear and concise, and that can help people. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, people, countless people have already been helped. But on that subject, um, you're releasing um, your new book in the spring of 2020. I am. I am. It's a little bit um, more of a personal story of how these doorways, how I think these doorways into other dimensional experiences happen right right out in the open and how spirit um Mary Magdalene Yeshua and others who have been my teachers both in physical form and in spirit the things that they showed me and how in the beginning I thought I was absolutely losing my mind but I kept with it and always the right brain led the left brain and I think this is really important to bring through in a very credible way because The feminine must rise now in all of us, both male and female, and there has to be a respect for the right brain and that skill set that it offers, and there still isn't, in my opinion. No, we have a ways to go. I mean, we're making progress. We really, really are. I don't doubt it. But there, I think women, uh, and I was just talking to a good friend of mine in France who actually lives out west, um, and we were saying that we have taken in this research and these these wonderful teachers that have taught us about the sacred feminine in the land. And they've done it through math and alignment and, um, you know, using some very logical and creative ways in which they do that. But now it's time for the women to go further with that and bring forth that deeper message of the feminine, and especially in the United States of America, the land of the goddess, believe it or not. France and the United States, there's a reason why there was an early alliance between the two. 
and it goes really, really deep. And I believe it has a lot to do with the vibration of the earth in our respective lands that are very feminine. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there has to be a balance. And, um, yeah, I I know that, well, you look at the, the history of France, you know, the greatest, you know, art and, you know, that, that creative aspect has always been predominant, whether it's in food, fashion, art, sculpting, you know, France has really um, kind of led the pack with that. They um, have, I, and there's, there's really a story to be told. You know, we're such a young country that we really don't understand what people and a lot of people of the bloodline, what they sacrificed to create this great experiment here, this place of ascension. And right now I know for a lot of people it doesn't look like that, but Magdalene assures me that we are right on track. You know, we, and we're, we're, um, we're in a precarious position, but yet we're right where we need to be. Um, and I don't know how we're doing for time, but I would love to share her message because it has so much to do with this. Okay, yeah, we're okay with time. And um, I was just looking at the at the switchboard, and we have one caller with a question. So okay. if it's okay with you, I would like to do that first, and then you can um, deliver Magdalene's message, and um, and then I have one more song to play, and I think that'll be a nice a nice flow for the show. So um, you're going to talk to Nanette in just a moment here. Let me get the mic open. Hi, Nanette. Thank you for the call. Hi there. And um, you are on the air with Gloria, so go ahead with your question. Thank you, Gloria. I can relate to a lot of the things that you have gone over this evening. Uh, and I wanted to ask something in reference to the bloodline. I had my DNA done when DNA first came out, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I ended up with the one that they traced my bloodline all the way back to its beginnings, as far back as they could go at the time. And um, I was trying to figure out, because they said that my blood uh, line has to do with the, uh, they called it the Eve mitochondria, something with the Eve mitochondria DNA. And from mm-hmm. what I understand, they said it was very old and ancient. It's like over maybe 7,000 years old or maybe more. I'm not sure. So wow. I want to talk about a little bit about that. And I went to Egypt, and I went through those temples, you know, on the cruise. And, and then mm-hmm. I live out in Flagstaff, so I'm very close to where you were going. So all of this is making sense. And I'm part Native American also. Oh, so. bless you. <laughs> So what? So tell me again what your question is. You want to understand a little bit more of that ancient bloodline? Yes, yes. And I know that uh, when my blood work did come back, I'm 25% of um, the Dogen, and I have a real fascination for the sky and space and stuff like that. So I wanted to find out if you knew maybe where I could find out more about it or, or how to read it. I just want to find out more about the bloodline. Wow. Well, more about the bloodline in terms of Mary Magdalene's time when she actually walked on the earth is Mm -hmm. a little bit different than if we go further back and even further back from ancient Egypt. If we go to, here's here's something to consider. If we go back to what I believe is pre-flood, 
So the great motherland, was it Atlantis or was it another name? Who knows? But there was a great motherland. And it's my belief that the bloodline that you could potentially be connected to starts there. And I find this tribe or clan called the Tuatha de Danan or the tribe of Dan, Danu, mm-hmm. um, it, it moved from the Atlantean continent in the Irish um, creation myths. It moved to Ireland or the UK. And they were a very, very powerful clan. But we also have the Amazons, which they're finding out more and more evidence about them. So I believe these are pre-flood, uh, meaning Noah's flood, you know, the universal flood that happened. The, these bloodlines started when we had more memory available to us. So we knew more, we remembered more, um, we were much more awake as um, civilizations, as as groups of people. And and so that's, that's the ancient piece of the bloodline. I believe that Yeshua, and I'm not the only one, that mm-hmm. if, you, if you go deep into the Rosicrucian um, archives, you will find that they believe Yeshua was Aryan, of Aryan blood. And they don't mean Aryan in the terms of we've heard that word used around Hitler, you know, the story of that history, mm-hmm. but Aryan meaning Atlantean. Ah, okay. And I even believe that Magdalene comes down through her tribe from those very, very ancient lands. Now, where you find books on that that are credible, I'm I'm piecing mine together, and I will be writing about that. Um, but certainly an, an interesting um, bloodline to consider. Well, a book that you might read that might put a little bit more of it together for you is by my dear friend, the, the late Dr. Tim Walsh Murphy, called Rex Deus. That's R-E-X-D-E-U-S. And that will take you from the time of the sacking of the temple in the Holy Land and what the bloodlines were preserving up until the current day. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Because I've been It's a great e- book. Oh, good. Very good. I've been to Egypt twice and I've been to Israel twice and I find that when I go into the you know, into both of those countries I feel so peaceful and so at home. And I've been to places where I literally just broke down and cried because of whatever the energy I was feeling from being there. So it's very interesting that you're bringing this up and stuff. And I did not know that Mary and Jesus, I got a, kind of got hijacked to India. They kind of canceled my vacation the last two weeks, and I ended mm-hmm. up in India. And I followed yeah. the same trail that Mary and Jesus followed, and I went to the same exact places. Now, when you say Mary and Jesus, do you mean Mother Mary or Mary Mother Magdalene? Mary and Jesus. Okay. And, and that was the trip. I wasn't going to India at that time. I, that wasn't on the list of places that I really wanted to go. I was trying to get to the indigenous people in Australia. But the trip got canceled two weeks out, and so I ended up in India. And, I mean, the exact tra- trail that Mother Mary and Jesus went to, that was the exact trail that I went to, all the places. You know, your soul will always get you to the land that will, will that will replenish your memory. Your soul mm-hmm. is inf- infinitely wise, and it will make those changes on you in real time and have things like that happen. We exactly. do know that Yahshua spent an enormous amount of time in India in his younger years being trained 
um, the Great White Brotherhood set out uh, instructions for the Essenes to see to it how he was educated and what influences he was to be exposed to. And the first country that he went to when he was about, I think, 13 um, was India. And I, I don't forget, he was there less than 10 years. He got mm-hmm. into trouble, according to the Rosicrucian teachings, because he wanted to give the, the these universal teachings to everyone, and they had a priestly caste, and they didn't mm. like that. So the mm-hmm. Essenes had to get him out of Dodge. They had to get him out of India because his life was being threatened. Oh, but, my goodness. you know, if you watch that um, fascinating DVD called Jesus in India, you'll see that they believe he was there and, and you know, he was recorded in their ancient texts. Some uh-huh. people believe he had a he had a twin brother, and uh-huh. later on he could have been the one that went back to India. So we don't. I, so I don't know. I've never been able to answer that question. But you're right to believe that that Yeshua essence was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. Well, this has been fascinating. I thank you so much because, as I said, I'm finding out more about the blood. And when I spoke to somebody who does the blood, they said, "Well, it's it's old and it's different from the regular blood." And I don't mm-hmm. know what the mitochondria. I don't know whether that was a direct. Descent from the Eve bloodline, I'm not really sure what it is. So I'm just trying to get some information about that. Well, I would so. check out Rex right. Deus because it does give you about 2,000 years of history. Okay. And it does show you what these bloodlines, what they were preserving um, on the earth and in the mm-hmm. memory banks, in the Akashic record, that mm. would be retrieved by those of us who would wake up at this time and say, hey, there's something more going on here, and we would seek to find it. So it's yeah. it's a it's a good book and it's reliable information. Um mm-hmm. but there are more. So, you know, you're you're welcome to go on my website. Um I have an email address there. You can always reach out with a question and I do get to email and I will help you more if I can. Okay, great. And the name of the book was by Rex Deus? It, it, the book is Rex Deus, R E X D E U S God Kings, um by Tim Wallace. Murphy. All righty, Tim. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the show. I appreciate it all. Thank you. Thanks so much, Nanette. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Thank you. So um, I'm going to just sit and be quiet and allow you to bring us the message from Mary Magdalene. Okay. She, uh, She came through today. Um, and it was last minute, so of course she kept me on the uh, on the edge. But I just had a feeling that she would. I think um, there's just such a fondness for for you and Lavendar and the crew, and for your listening audience. I've met just met some fantastic people. Um, it's just a wonderful connection. So this is what she had to say. Mary Magdalene speaks. It is from my heart that I extend this message to you, dear starseeds and listeners of all beliefs. This time upon us is a very potent opening in your collective ascension process, although it may not look anything like you had imagined it to be. Many of you did not anticipate the depth of understanding it would take to identify ancient wounds and correct the pattern of a broken timeline and forgotten memories. Yes, many of you have been exhausted 
by the length of your time on this path, the way of the heart. And yet I tell you, despite all appearances, the light is growing stronger on planet Earth, even while she, our great mother, is ready to crack wide open. Are you not feeling this way as well? However, in your classroom of duality consciousness, this is the procedure for your world to move to the next stage of your evolution. It can be a long and tedious process, but when the acceleration begins to speed up to a point of no return, the imminent shifting is at hand. This is where you find yourselves now, whether conscious of this process or not, whether in flow or resistance. The channel, meaning me, the channel was told in 2016 not to fear the extremes forming in your world, no matter how it appeared from the outside. Make no mistake that there has been a great initiative to hold you back, whether emanating from dark forces determined to slow your progress, from technologies employed by those who are experimenting with how they can influence your thought process, or even from the resistance of your own ego mind. Do not be fooled into this attempted undoing at this time. Stand in your beautiful light. Use your understanding of coherence and compassion to trigger your next level of genetic instruction. Lead the way forward with your heart light and memory intact. We do realize the images of suffering in your world are heart-wrenching, yet you must come to terms with this grand global mirror and what it is reflecting to each and every one of you. Stay vigilant and continue to do your inner work. Help your brothers and sisters as we help you. Many are struggling, fearing oppression, and they need a helping hand. Do not begrudge them. Love them. Even your enemies, for the road to spiritual richness is paved with the golden specks of love you sprinkle along the way. That sounds fanciful, but behold, this statement supports an ancient wisdom. For the specks of love hold light and celestial codes of data carried in that light. They are embedded for your benefit. As I have said before, sing to the stars and watch what happens. Absorb the starlight and place it into your heart. Trigger your own inner light exponentially and let yourself glow like never before. We see you by the light you shine and send legions of angels to support your remembrance. We are with you every step of the way. Wow. That, that really touched me. And um, I think I want to um, thank you at this point for sharing your your work, your heart, and and for helping to bring the message from Mary Magdalene to us because it is so needed at this time. So, Gloria, we love you, and 
let's talk before next Christmas, okay? <laughs> yes, I think I think we must, especially at this time. And and thank you so much. You're making me well up in tears too because I feel it when I channel her as well. It's uh as I read it and and hear your reaction, it 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 sinks in more with me too. And I will send it to you for your listeners to post. I'll I'll do that um when we end the show. But thank you so much as well. And to end the show, I dedicate this next song to Mary Magdalene, Yeshua, and the Bloodline. May your life be filled with blessings during this holiday season and let there be peace and goodwill 
across the planet. Good night, everyone. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.